Welcome to the Love Cars on the Grid podcast, your global motorsport roundup with me, Tiffany Dell and Paul Woodman. Welcome to Love Cars on the Grid, your global motorsport podcast. This is episode number 42 and it's the first one of the new series. So this is uh, new season. We've got to be trendy like these Netflix New Year. New oh, I think year. it's New Year. Happy New Year, everyone, by the way. Happy New Year, indeed. But it is new season as well. So we're going to kick off. Uh, there's a bit of action happening with Dakar, a little bit of drama there. We're going to a discuss... Little bit. A little bit. A big explosion. Uh, uh, we're going to discuss the next British Formula One star. A um, bit of BTCC, but it wouldn't be a Love Cars on the Grid podcast without kicking off with Formula One first. And Tiff Fidel, do you remember the Belgium Grand Prix in 2021 at Spa? Do you remember what happened? It rained a bit. Well, exactly. <laughs> Nothing happened. There was a processional three-lap race at the end of it. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because... And Max Verstappen got some points for winning it, <laughs> which was because he was on pole. But we won't go let's, back there. We're not going, not let's going back not there. Let's not go there. there. Not, Congratulations no. to Max. He'll be sipping a Heineken <laughs> as we're speaking. Um, but actually, bizarrely, so these poor fans, 70,000 people waiting all day in the rain. So not to mention the millions of people around the world watching on, on, on home. But they paid good money to go watch this race. And you know yeah. how much they're going to get remunerated uh, for going to uh, for not getting a race for getting. Well, I thought they were, they were going to get a full refund, weren't they? There wasn't a proper race. <laughs> oh, you are funny in this new year, Tim. They're getting nothing. No, nada, nothing. Seventy thousand people. I didn't read that. Just uh, their, their money has well, gone. And... That? That's not the FIA, though, is it? You can't no, blame it's... them. We can't blame them. Is, is that who, <laughs> is that what Liberty and them? It is, yeah. It's Formula One. It's Liberty Media. It's not Michael Massey for once. It's not the FIA. It's Liberty Media. But what they, what's happening is they're being invited to go into this draw, some sort of um, super draw, where they can win a gold, uh, silver. Let me read this here. Fans are, are not being offered any, any form of remuneration for their tickets, which can cost several hundreds of thousands, uh, several hundreds of euros each. They are being given the opportunity to enter a prize draw to win seats at next year's race. A total of 170 seats will be given away. That's 170. Uh, 20 VIP, 50 gold, and 100 silver. The 170 so, out of about 70,000. 70,000. So I think that's a bit poor, Mr. Liberty Media. Miss, miss, uh, non-binary uh, Liberty Media person that doesn't identify from anything. But I think that's poor, personally. Um, but uh, hopefully those 70,000 people will be back next year because far... It's all the about the money, money, money. <laughs> Good Just old Liberty. Speaking of money, it costs a few quid to do this Dakar these days. Any motorsport's expensive, but that is proper big boy stuff. But um, And it is all kicking off in Saudi Arabia with Dakar. Yeah, well, sadly, you know, I mean, we joke about it. It started with a bang, but I mean, it's quite a serious event that this... Um, it was a, a service crew car. The six of them in the car, they just left the hotel to go to the start. It's even before it even started. Uh, and just as soon as they drove away, there was an explosion. It, it's still not really... Uh, explains definitely a criminal activity they're looking into but it could have been an oxygen bottle in the car for all I know but you know the car burst into flames and the French um, he's the driver he wasn't driving the support vehicle Philippe Boutron uh, had very bad leg injuries and had to be airlifted out to back to France and obviously won't be the Dakar uh, obviously there is security issues out in Saudi there are people who don't like the race happening it's a bit of an insult perhaps to some of their beliefs out there and um, so it could have been uh, you know, a, a deliberate bomb planted, but uh, slightly worrying and, and obviously very sorry for well, that crew let, that aren't doing the Dakar. 
yeah, this is let's not speculate because it, it could have been fuel, it could have been like yep. you said, oxygen or anything. So let's wait and yep. see what happens. But it is a bit of a a bit of a bombshell, <laughs> if you excuse that pun, to kick off Dakar. But it's yeah. it's but there is plenty of action uh, happening out on. I was going to say on the track, but on the sand. Yeah, but even, but even before the event started, apart from that, we had um, this oh, the balance of power rubbing. Carlos Sainz moaning that. already. I saw that. Sainz to me is a bit like the Alonso of rallying. You know, <laughs> him and Alonso are both very successful drivers from Spain. You know, brilliant in their, each of their, their their sides of the world. Uh, but they both seem to you know complain a lot when they think the world's against them. You know, because Carlos Sainz is one of these new the Audi RSQ e-tron. So this it is looks amazing, experiment. doesn't yeah, it? Fantastic. So it uh, runs electric engines to power it, but it's got a two-litre petrol engine, two litres to charge the batteries while it's going on. So it's this experimental class, because, again, the FIA are now involved, warning to rally raid people. This is actually the first of their new official, uh, what is it, a World Rally Raid Championship, the FIA World Rally Raid Championship, of which Dakar is the first round. And so, again, FIA, they want this road relevance. Uh, you know, everyone wants manufacturers in. Uh, but if you do get manufacturers in, you know, they do want to win a lot because they're investing huge sums of money. Audi are quite famous for complaining a lot when the regs go against them. You know, Le Mans, they had that diesel engine arrive, you know. And they, they, it was virtually Le Mans, unless you give us a 28-litre engine with 10,000 horsepower, you know, we won't come. Um and so they're so desperate to have manufacturers, they'll let them almost write the rule book before they come in. Um, but at the moment, it's this T, the top class, the T class, there's T1s and T2s and T3s and T Ultra, all that are competitive. Um, but there's the T1 Plus, is the current, the Toyotas and the Pro Drive cars, that are the more regular buggies, petrol engines uh, that have been, uh, been there for years. Uh, but Audi are enticed to come in with the first of the T1 electric, T1E class. And these rules have been written for about 18 months. But all of a sudden, when it finally came down to what you're going to get, Audi, they're not happy. They haven't got the <laughs> suspension travel they wanted or the onboard air jacking system because they're heavier. And all the cars had to go to Switzerland about six months ago to be, to be equalised as they try to this balance of power, try to be fair to everybody. And I feel this is something that's going to happen in world sports cars. We've got this incoming, you know, this um, LMP hybrid, LMP Daytona, two very different rule books. So they try to balance the power. And um, to my mind, obviously, ProDrive and Toyota complained a bit with this sort of rule book and said, well, that's a bit, you know, a bit too much to Audi. So they took a few things away. And it's almost as if Audi expect they should be allowed to win the first event. You know, to, to my mind, if you're a new boy, you know, you know you shouldn't expect to be winning. You should expect Absolutely, to be close. Yeah. And then you develop. But, you know, if the existing team suddenly face an Audi with a rule book that makes them walk away with the event, then not much reward for having been doing the Dakar for the last 10 or 20 years in Toyota's case. So, you know, I, I don't like it when they moan straight away. Um, it is an idiot. It's fascinating rules. I mean, as but it I is say, fascinating. And you're right with rules in motorsport because even, and I heart back to the Caterham stuff, but even the Caterham, you were saying to me at the beginning of the season, if there's anything, then get you a tenth. Anything yeah. in the rules yeah. that you can push. So yeah. we all do it. At any, even a grass sports motorsport, you push the rules as far as you can. And but, I, but how you how you how you come up with the equivalent? I mean, the, the, what they ended up, and apparently the, the Toyota's got four hundred and two brake horsepower, and the Audi ended up with three hundred and eighty six, because the Audi with electric engine's got more torque. So how do you? What is the advantage of more torque against more power? Um, so, so basically. Short, you know, short, 
I know that I know it's difficult now with this in this hybrid era, but surely the solution is just to say you cannot have more than X amount of um, kilowatt per hour, and you cannot have a X amount yeah, more, more than X more. amount of CC, yeah. and it can or cannot be turbocharged. But yeah, but, but we're heavier, Audi. We're heavier. We want yeah, that's more your problem. Well, that's know, your problem. I know. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> it's so close. Cool. So basically, got the three Audis up against the, the three ProDrive um, ProDrive BRX cars. Uh, and about six of the Toyota Hilux, the T1 Plus. That's how we set out of the rally with this sort of equivalency problem. And apparently Audi, the other thing Audi wanted, they wanted, because there's going to be, as in GT3, it's a computerised system over the course of the year, takes in the results of the previous event and adapts the, the um, compatibility. That's how Balance of Power works quite well in the GT3. Uh, but apparently Audi wanted it to be changed during the event. Instead of waiting the end of the Dakar, they wanted the updates to happen as the event. Anyway, it all backfired complete for Audi because on day two of the rally proper, their whole team's fallen apart. So all that concern about gaining another tenth of a second, because um, their three cars had an awful... Um, it was actually day two on Sunday, the, the first proper stages... Um, because what was it? Stefan Petter Hansel, the, who was actually the furthest running, very competitive, took a whole core, ripped a corner off on a rock. Uh, so he's virtually out of the rally. Uh, and the other two, Carlos Sainz and uh, Marcus Eriks Ekstrom, got lost in this very complex way book that had a way station they were all trying to find. Uh, so, so I think, I think what is the science is down at about what positions I've got. He's about um, 20th or something. I've written it down somewhere. He's, no, he's down in 48th place, that right. He's two hours down. And wow. Marcus Ericsson's in 37th place, an hour and 45 minutes down. So, well, I mean, so it's such a thing, Dakar, because it's not just, you know, going fast or equivalency. It's so much about navigation. And they used to have maps and um, sat-nav and stuff, which they had to kick out. Because the, the Dakar organisers want it to be an adventure, you know, not just a race across the dunes. So they have these waybooks, and it, it happened with the motorbikes as well. It was chaos. It was like, I was watching Carlton Kirby talk about it. He's lovely. Eurosport every night this week. So I start watching. Pick up on the Dakar because Carlton wanders on, waffling away. He loves it, and he just describes these happenings with a wonderful, laid-back manner. But loads of people got lost. They have to find these way stations. You have to get within two hundred meters of a way station, and you have to follow a roadbook. That's the only navigation you have. There was an area they got to near a way station. I'll read out what it was because it's fascinating really how it works. So you're in a book in a dusty desert bouncing along on a motorbike trying to read your road book in front of your eyes. And at 257.6 kilometres, there was a fork of 42 degrees you had to take. And then after about 200 metres, you had to take another 10 degrees left and then follow the track, is what they say. So. <laughs> where some managed to, but the point is when they wrote the road book and some of the competitors complaining, the guy from Dakar, there is one track quite obviously, because you're driving along at 20 miles an hour, writing the road book. But apparently as soon as a few drivers had gone a bit off that one track and made different marks, those that come later, well, the track is now a mess of people. And they were just all turning around and trying to refine the way well, you see one of the films, we didn't see it yesterday. Watch it again. The highlights are revolving all day long in Eurosport. You can watch yesterday's action. And there's a scene with about seven or eight bikes, top bikers, all sort of going off in different directions. Uh, and Carlos Sites but he had a head-on crash. I think it was a, the, the mini of Nanny Roma. They met him coming over the, in the other direction, going the other way. So there's 
Well, not for the hazards. Imagine but, that, in the, middle, in the middle of the oh, desert, no. nothing around for miles and miles and miles, you always <laughs> have a head on. <laughs> anyway, through it all, NASA Antayos is amazing Dakar veteran of the Toyota team. Uh, and he's got an incredible navigator, his name forgets me, but he's very famous for catching these tracks and getting the route exactly right. Um, he led the way home, and Sebastian Loeb, being quite clever, <laughs> actually followed NASA through this tricky area. So the two of them were the only two that didn't lose about half an hour, just going so, to this one way station. So you're allowed so a compass. The, the you're allowed a compass. What sort of technical equipment are you allowed? So not allowed well, yeah, it's just this roadbook. I'm not quite sure. No GPS for sure. It's just literally the roadbook. They took away the maps a few years right back. I mean, so much about this, I don't know. Like I said, there's so many categories and classes and petrols and diesels and buggies and two-wheel drives and four-wheel drives. Then you've got you know, the other bikes, you've got the quad bikes and you've got the buggies, electric motorbike bikes and the trucks. It's such an amazing event. And when does it all end, Tiff? Is it it's got two weeks, go, two, two weeks to go. Two weeks to go. Our only Brit, as I said last week, even with the charts in the cars, is Michael Orr, who's the co-driver of the Toyota Rahid Al-Raji, and he's ninth. So our navigator, our British navigator, got him through and finished ninth. Um, in the bikes, you know, again, huge championship names like um, Toby Price, the Aussie, he got lost completely. He's 22nd place. He's an hour down. Uh, but his fellow Aussie, Daniel Sanders, leads the bikes. Sam Sunderland, our British hope, is sixth. And the other Brits, I mentioned, the only, only category we've got more than one competitor in is the bikes. But to show how tough it is, you know, for a privateer, um, down in, what, 55th place was David McBride, 120th place, David Mabs, and 138th, five hours behind the leader um, after just one day, it was Simon Hewitt. But when they're on an amazing adventure. How they do it, the exhaustion of, of pulling those bikes to the sand, and to be five hours down after day one. But, you know, it's just good luck to them all. Oh, one quick mention on the bikes, World Superbike fans, Daniel Petrucci, who is just out of MotoGP after this last season, he's out there adventuring, and he's 13th at the moment, uh, 33 minutes off the lead. So just keep watching it. Carlton <laughs> Kirby will guide you through it. It's a wonderfully entertaining. The shots, the film, the footage of the terrain they're going across is just magical. It is beautiful. And, and the bikes are really interesting you say that because you cannot believe how much it saps your energy. I went to watch my friend on New Year's Day uh, just on a one hour um, enduro sort of uh, trials thing. So uh, the, the, the track is lots of mud and you've got to go over jumps and all this sort of uh, bits and pieces. And he's a super fit guy. You know, Ash, yeah. Ash, Ash Morgan. Oh, yes. Oh, Ash. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Of course. He's super fit. Very talented uh, rider. And he was blowing so much because you're forever... <sighs> Uh, you know, wrestling against the mud in, in this instance, but when you're wrestling against the sand, arguably that's even harder. So it's yeah. really, I mean, he was blowing. He was really blowing. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, yeah, and we're going to do, I think probably a good time to mention, we're going to do some grassroots stuff. We're going to cover that in the new TV show that uh, that's coming up. So we're going to do lots of grassroots stuff. I don't know whether you're going to, maybe you, we can, I was thinking about uh, getting you onto that, Tim. See if you no. do an hour's endurance race. Not endurance, an hour's race, but... I tell you what, for fifth, for fifth gear, I no top gear, top gear motorsport. I went to sidecar of a sidecar scrambler, you know, standing on the <laughs> yeah. side, holding onto the race. And after about 
too loud. I just couldn't stand up. My knees were jelly. I couldn't stand up. I actually put us in a hedge because <laughs> the, the corner went left. I'm on the right of my chair. I, I couldn't leave. I was, I was still, because I'd come out of a previous corner left hand, and I was leaning over it. And he, the poor rider had no steering because I wasn't moving to the other side. And that's how important the bloke on the back is. Yeah, leaping out. Please, enduro please let us know below if you've got access to any grassroots motorsport that you would like uh -huh. to have uh, featured on the new TV show, please let us know below. <laughs> we're definitely going to be going to Japan to do some filming because um, uh, we've been commissioned by National Geographic in um, Japan as well, which would be exciting. But anything uh, closer to home, so uh, whatever whatever it may be, um, wherever it may be, let us know and we'll, we'll okay. see if we can cover it. Um, so the future of Formula One for the next yeah, British so star. Yeah. Interesting time of year because, you know, young drivers begin to sign up for Formula 3 and Formula 2. And, and I was just sort of beginning to think ahead, you know, because we, we're very lucky in Formula 1. You know, we have got, as I said, we've got three and a, and a half British drivers. Who's the half? Well, well it's, it's, it's Alexander Albon. I can't, <laughs> so he's Thai. I mean, everyone says he's Thai, British, British Thai. So we'll give, Whoever's paying the money, we'll, he, we'll that's what nationality Thailand. is. I mean, he, he says he's Thai, <laughs> but we, we're three and a half. Um, whereas, of course, only France, Spain, uh, Germany, and Canada have two. The other, the other countries only got one driver. In Canada, of course, both are billionaires' boys who have, have made their money. Still very good matter. drivers. They're still they're very still good drivers. Good yeah. drivers. Not maybe brilliant, but they're very good. Um, so we are a bit lucky at the moment to have three and a half. But you know, I was just thinking ahead. You know, where's the next star of Britain coming from? And of course, the way you look, you look first to Formula Two and Formula Three from last year. Of course, the only guy we had in Formula 2 was Dan Tictum. Um, he's now going Formula E, so maybe he's never going to be a Grand Prix driver. Now he's sort of uh, blown his chances slightly. Uh, then in Formula 3, again, we didn't have any real superstars in Formula 3. Ollie Caldwell was our best in eighth. Uh, he was in his second year of Formula 3. He's never won any championships yet, so he's going up to Formula 2 and hopefully he can do better. But at the moment, um, no brilliance exposed. And then the other two that did Formula 3, the new boys, uh, Johnny Edgar was 18th in the championship and Jonathan Hoggard 20th. So it's hard again to see, you know, who's going to be the next star. So the other thing you look at is the Autosport Awards. And that's why I was thinking about it, because they were delayed. They should have been on December. It was December the 19th, wasn't it? Um, they postponed it till February the 6th. And this is the magical awards ceremony. And the, the point is just getting into the final. It's a big fillip to young drivers to get their sponsorship for next year. And I'm sure they're quite annoyed that it's been put into February the 6th. So we still don't know which of the four finalists is going to win it. And this is something that was won by what Jensen Button in 1998, George Russell in 2014, Lando Norris in 2016, and Dan Tictum actually won it in 2017. So, you know, winning this award is a really great indicator of talent. And um, I should point out that uh, I was the winner of the equivalent award in 1976 when it was called the Grovewood Award. And I was voted the most promising young British driver. And I was presented uh, with a £1,000 cheque by James Hunt, who'd just come back from Japan when he won the World Championship. So There's it's an a, exception it's a huge... to every rule, listeners. I oh, have thank to you. Thank you very much. Sometimes they don't get it right every Yeah, not all, no, not all award winners end up being superstars, but they get to be a Grand Prix driver. Just, just. Very good. Um, so it's a wonderful event. Of course, you know, I got a thousand pounds. They get two hundred thousand pounds now. It used to be a Mercedes Award, Mercedes McLaren, McLaren Autosport Award, and um, the drivers used to get test drives in Formula One cars. They don't happen anymore, and that's why Lewis Hamilton isn't on the list because Lewis was actually a factory uh, McLaren driver at that stage, so uh, he couldn't go. It was a McLaren Autosport thing, so Lewis didn't do it. 
Um, so anyway, so this year's four finalists all sitting there waiting to be announced. Uh, Johnny Edgar is, is in that list, although he's already done a season of Formula 3. And he was a Red Bull boy that he won Formula 4 in Italy, but just last year in Formula 3 didn't have a very good year, so he really needs to up his game. A 16-year-old Zach O'Sullivan, who was the British Formula 3 champion last year, if he, he could beat these other boys in this award, it would be an amazing fillet to his career. Louis Foster, interesting, 18-year-old, he was second in the Euro Formula, sort of cheaper Formula 3-like championship, went around Europe last year. He's already almost given up, sadly, on a Grand Prix. He's got him to America. He's doing the US Formula, he's Formula 4 2000, I think, in the US. He wants to move the US Formula. You win the championship, you get a huge grant to move up the next step. So Louis already decided, well, I'll try and be an IndyCar driver because the chances of being a Formula 1 driver are pretty remote, which is sad but interesting. He's made that move. But most exciting is about this Ollie Behrman boy. That's right where I thought about talking about this, because he's just been announced um, as the Formula 3 driver for the, the crack Prima Power team for next year. So he's signed up, he's got his drive, um, and he won the Italian Formula 4 Championship last year and the German Formula 4 Championship, doing them both. It's a lot of hype about him. You sort of expect he's going to win the Autosport Award, but then you sort of, maybe Johnny Edgar's, but who knows? So it's quite an interesting, because <laughs> they actually drive four very weird cars. The four finalists go to Silverstone, uh, they drive a Formula 2 car, a GT car, a sports car, and one other, I think. Um, so it's a fantastic test of talent. And they've got great judges like Derek Warwick and lots of you know, people watching the, these young talents. So it really is a great indication of someone that maybe will be in Grand Prix racing in four years' time. So um, I, I went to look and listen. Watch those names. Couple, we'll we'll obviously be announcing the winner in a, in a few weeks' time at the Grand Gala dinner on February the 6th. Are you going? And, uh, we'll see because I'm waiting for my invitation. I went a couple of years ago. Malik, Where's the Michael, love cars table? Well, who Michael invited Ma you? We can't afford that. Michael Malik invited us last time. so And you were invited. <laughs> you, I think you are washing your hair that night. Um, so we watched... Have you phoned Napper up yet so we can represent their touring car battle? No, we, did get, we did get a lovely... It's Christmas, so they're not going to be answering the phone. They're too, too, uh, too wealthy for that. But we did get a lovely couple of mentions on Twitter if you're trying to tap up Napper for us. So uh, <laughs> if you know anyone with Napper, put them in touch, please. Uh, speaking of touring cars... You were asking about, well, we were both asking about Jake. Yeah, a week ago. Yeah, where, where's Jake going? Where's Jake going? <laughs> That's it. He's going to be done. His career's done for. Little did we know. Straight out this week. Signed up with the BMW team with West Surrey Racing. And uh, uh, not with the sort of factory-coloured cars. He's brought his own money. Rokit. Again, this is fantastic news for touring cars. As I said, with the Napa deal, you know, they, they need proper sponsors so the teams can choose the drivers and pay the best drivers and make it a more professional setup. So, because um, he's got Mark Blundell as his manager at Jay Hill, so Mark's probably found the rocket money and they've gone to BMW. But my only problem is, um, guess what colour the rocket sponsored car is? <laughs> Reference. <laughs> black. <laughs> I complained last year. I complained last year. Because the works BMWs are black and I think some the two private BMWs are black and the, the Hondas were black and... Oh, please, it just needs to... You literally sometimes last year, we saw about eight black cars in a row. You know, you're trying to pick out who's who. We need more colour. Alan Gow, get, come on, get out and start telling them limit colours. First one to register with each colour, and only three of each colour allowed. Well, we're going to get yeah. some bright colours on the Love Cars catering for this uh, forthcoming so. season. So, uh, and if anybody's a sponsorship expert, please, <laughs> please let us know. Ineos, oh, imagine that, the old Ineos. Oh, I could see it now. 
Napa Rokit. Rokit Napa. 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 Oh. oh, I can see it now. Do you imagine? Imagine the exposure. I think maybe Paul, you should go down to Bristol Motors, maybe the local garage or something for sponsorship at your level, really. No, That's I what I was, no, I don't forget, we got we... look for local businesses. This is what youngsters, if you're looking for sponsorship out there, don't write to Roke and Napper and, uh, and Marlborough and others who believe you're going to get there. You know, you literally have to find local sponsors if you're just right at the bottom leg of the ladder and um, trying to get local businessmen involved and then he can back you. And that's the way sponsorship works, really, at the very lower levels. You, you never see any really big household names you know outside of, of you know formula one formula three and stuff so uh, we formula you watch this space mr Nadell. don't forget we got a bit of a different package to just <laughs> doing the the road sport uh, championship because we got the television show so we've got some space on the helmet we've got, we've got love car. cars we've got love cars on the green we've got love cars on the road podcasts we've got millions of views on youtube so uh, so any potential sponsors <laughs> ineos rokit um napa Please let us know. We could do with the money and we'll we'll see what we can do in return. We'll do some pretty epic stuff in return. But but we can't wait to do the TV show. That's going to be the big thing for us in 2022. But we're going to continue with this every single week. The uh, uh, the podcast, the motorsport podcast. We may, uh, if tips away, I'm, I'm away, may get some mystery guests in. Ben Collins, he's been to come and have a chat with you because I know my podcast. he's my a big idea. Max fan and you and I are quite big Lewis fans so that would be quite an interesting one on a controversial <laughs> Formula 1 weekend but uh, plenty more as well that uh, are waiting to come and take out Where's our FIA? We, we, we appeal for an FIA inside to leak what's going on because I mean, when's this great you know, report coming out? When is it being investigated? We need to know the inside line I still can't believe Mercedes dropped that appeal you know because I wouldn't have dropped it <laughs> I would have been so bloody minded. I they were just... both deserved. They were both deserving champions over the season. It's just the way it was ended was horrible. Red Bull would not have dropped the appeal. That's <laughs> my final final sell method. Congratulations to Max. Congratulations. See you next week. Watch the Dakar, week. everyone. Oh, what's, sit what's down. his name? What's have Mr. a Ewing? beer. Carlton Kirby. Listen to Carlton. <laughs> He's just lovely. The perfect fit for the Dakar. Great. Happy New Year, everybody. See you next week. Cheers.